Welcome one and all to a new episode of my RPG podcast. Today's guest is Mark Altfuldish. He is a platinum seller on the DMs Guild. It's a place for supplemental D&D content. He's got multiple products, the Heroes of the Orient series, as well as his epic character series. He's a fantastic um, creator from Denmark, and in this episode we talk about his products, um, kind of what it took to create them, where the inspiration comes from, and tips and tricks for others who are either wanting to create their own content and then publish it online, as well as more specifically geared towards you know doing it via DMs Guild and working with Wizards of the Coast. So uh, I really hope you guys are starting to enjoy a couple of these uh, more instructional episodes that I'm having here where we're getting in depth with the process that it is to create things and I'm hoping to have more of these coming soon. Welcome one and all to a new episode of My RPG Podcast. Today's guest is Mark Altfudish. Please, will you introduce yourself? Hello everyone, I'm, uh, I'm Mark and I am the creator of uh, Heroes of the Orient, Monsters of the Orient and Epic Characters, available on dmsguild.com. Yes, Mark is a fantastic DM content creator that, like he mentioned, you can find on DMs Guild. And me and him are actually going to get into our kind of topic of today, which is about creating content for the internet, kind of going beyond your own table and your own screen. But before we get into any of that, I wanted to get a little primer as to who Mark is. So Mark, let's exp- uh, let's start at the beginning. What was your origin in getting into RPGs? Well, my origin, that's... Uh... <laughs> Quite a few years back, really, I, I started out when I was probably 12 or 13, something like that. So um, almost 20 years back now. I'm 31 today, so so almost 20 years. Um, and, and we played for probably, I would say, three or four years, maybe five. I'm not entirely sure. But, but later on, um, yeah, like a lot of people, uh, I, I sort of lost interest or that's not actually entirely true. I didn't lose interest in that, but other things um, happened, or I became aware of, let's say, uh, uh, the other gender, and and that sort of became more interesting to me for a period of time. Um, yeah, uh, but back then I never DM'd uh, at all. I was always a player, and I was really scared to get into the whole DMing side of things. Um, that's only something I've been doing for the past few years after 5th edition has come out. And um, yeah, I, sh- I should probably say what we played back then was uh, advanced Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, uh, way back in the day, there were two separate um, systems for, for D&D. And yeah, we played the advanced part because we thought that sounded cooler. Um, thinking back on it now, at that age, I should probably have been sticking to the, the normal, the regular D&D. So yeah, that's that's the origin back then. So you said you were only recently started DMing, GMing. Uh, is that having to do with just not being interested, being scared of the prospect, enjoying being a player too much? Where did that come from? Well, um, I started DMing uh, because well, I've, I've matured a bit since I was 13, luckily, I would say. But um, no, as a day job, I, I'm, I'm a lecturer, so uh, I'm, I'm very used to speaking in front of people. And, and yeah, that, that doesn't weigh me down anymore. So I thought, let's try it out. So I just, well, we, we, uh, when 5th edition came out, we had to start a game, and I didn't DM right away. Um, but uh, soon I couldn't get enough of it, and now I don't have one game running. I'm a part of three different playgroups uh, where I DM two of them, and I, I'm a player at the, uh, at the, at the last one. Um, so yeah, but, but it, it really came about because I wanted to... Uh, the whole world building aspect of it really appealed to me and and 
it's probably something that comes from my day job as a lecturer too. I really enjoy watching people grow and and uh, people having fun. Uh, if people have fun, I have fun. Um, and and yeah, that that really appealed to me. So I started doing that. Of course, I also very much enjoy being a player. So so that's why I also have a game where I where I play. Sadly, in that game we don't play that often. I would like to play more, but yeah. That those are scheduling conflicts that that can happen, you know. So yeah, but I really enjoy DMing and I really enjoy playing as well. Though if I had to pick one, I would say I'm probably more of a DM now than than a player. Um, yeah, yeah. So you mentioned Advanced Dungeons and Dragons and Fifth Edition as well. Is Dungeons and Dragons and like fantasy RPGs kind of your only RPG background, or have you branched out into anything else? No, I, I I've never really branched out into anything else. Uh, I've had a look at other things, but I haven't really been able to find play groups. Um, something I've really wanted to do at one point was play something like GURPS uh, and use it to sort of play a Fallout type game. Um, if, if are you familiar with the Fallout series? Yes, I am actually. Yeah. I'm quite familiar with the series, and I, anybody who's a listener of the My RPG podcast will be familiar with that name, GURPS, because in a previous episode, our good friend Dan Wallace from Germany talked about it as one of the alternate systems or different systems other than D and D. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, well. As I said, I've never actually played it. I would love to go ahead and try it at some point, but. Um, uh, back when I played uh, AD and D back in the day, uh, it I think it was about the same time that um, Baldur's Gate uh, came out, the first one uh, for PC. I played that, and I played Planescape Torment, one of my absolute favorite uh, PC games ever. And of course, Baldur's Gate Two, and there's Neverwinter Nights, and all of those games. But Fallout as well, and I'm very much in love with with the fallout universe as a whole um so so yeah i would absolutely love to play a fallout type game at some point um but yeah as as with all things tabletop uh, it's a bit limiting um in in that sense because i don't really know anyone else who would like to do that <laughs> so so yeah for for now we're just sticking to to D, &D uh, and and mostly in the forgotten realms actually so far so you, Fallout Universe, you're mentioning Forgotten Realms. You're you're having a strong kind of build up in setting and in backstory and in lore and stuff like that. Is that what initially draws you towards RPGs or your own games that you play into, especially the games you write? You're you're big into the lore because you mentioned that world building aspect of being the reason you switched over to being a game master. Is that you? Is that your in? Is that what your tie is? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I I mean I. I love the whole idea of, of creating something. Um, obviously, that is also a big part of why I started uh, doing my own supplements. Um, but, but yeah, I, I love uh, the, the world building, but also the storytelling part, uh, the, the narrative part that goes along with it, uh, building intricate stories and lore and delving into, you know, why this culture why is it in in this in this way and of course there's always the real world inspiration for that or something uh, you know you've seen in a tv show or read in a book or in 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 a comic book or, or whatever but but yeah it's 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 really fun and and i I spent a lot of time be, before I started doing things for, for the DMs Guild and that part, I, I, I spent a lot of time on Reddit and creating things there and um, always loved creating things and sharing them with, with other people. Um, yeah, but, but world building definitely, uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a big tie. So we're kind of naturally transitioning to the main topic here. So my question is, what is then, is, is it just a general curiosity as to like how to change a system? What would be great to uh, kind of supplement a system to that then brings you to going from, okay, this is something I'm interested about in my head or I'm maybe playing at my table to let me publish this online. Like what's, what's that push? Well, actually, um, uh, the, the, the first title I made was epic characters 
um, which is all about going beyond level 20 as a player and all the way up to level 30. And, and of course, looking back at it now, I think it was probably a bit too soon that it came out originally because D&D 5e was so new still at that point. No one really played at level 20 yet. Um, so uh, it, it's a lot more relevant now somehow. Uh, that sort of makes sense. But but um, uh, I forgot what, what, was, what was the question. Sorry. Sure, no problem. So what I'm saying is you started, you know, DMing, you're creating your own games, you're doing your own world building, but all of this ideas stay in your head and then typically go to your table and your players who you're playing with but what's the step then between this is something that works on my table to like i think the world should see this or the world should try this idea oh yeah um actually uh i've always wanted to share things you know it started out a little bit with me creating a few things and sharing them in my play groups and i remember one of the very first things i did was um i created an archetype for for the barbarian class for 5e and because i really wanted to play a dual wielding barbarian at that point um the thing turned out to be horribly imbalanced, uh, not in a overpowered way, but in a completely underpowered way, <laughs> because I didn't really understand the mechanics yet at that point. Um, uh, that all came later, but but we sort of we tested it and we tried it, and luckily my play groups they're very willing to 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 try new things, and you know we always play with something. If something turns out to be overpowered, then we just change it because we want everyone to have fun. Um, so, so there's this sort of environment where it's all okay, and and um, yeah, then then I start, started doing more things and tried a few things out. Uh, but then I started sharing a few things online, and I mentioned earlier like Reddit was somewhere where I shared some monsters and things, and got a lot of good feedback on those. Looking at them now, I would have done a lot of things differently. Um, but uh, yeah, then I started doing the the epic thing because in one play where I was, or in one game where I was playing, um, where I was a player myself, uh, the DM he, he always started talking, or he talked a lot about how there used to be epic levels and how he really wanted to take the game to to epic levels at some point, but there was nothing there in 5e. So I started doing it myself. I spent a lot of time on that back then. Um, and then I shared it on some forum. Uh, I can't actually remember where it was, but I got a lot of feedback there. And of course, a lot of things were horribly broken, uh, both underpowered and overpowered. And yeah, the concepts sometimes didn't work because there was a rule that contradicted it and, you know, things like that. But but the core ideas of some things were, of most things were, were quite all right. So um yeah, and, and as I actually did all of that, uh, they announced that they would be launching the DMs Guild. So at that point, I, I thought to myself, well, if 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 I refine this a bit and, and we test it a little bit, maybe I can share it with, with a larger audience. And yeah, so that's when I really started delving into all of that and, and try to refine it and do, do all those things. Um, but, but there's this natural progression where... The first thing I did was I, I I made it all in 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 Word and I thought it didn't really look okay and I've always been uh, I've always had that feeling when when you open a Dungeons and Dragons book and you read through it there's so much inspiration uh, just because of the illustrations and and you know the way they they place things it all just blends together so well uh, and and I didn't have that feeling with my own stuff so so that's really why I started um, delving into trying to acquire artwork and things like that and trying to teach myself InDesign like when I started this I had absolutely no idea how to use InDesign but but uh, through about a thousand hours of tutorials and things, um, I, I sort of got through that. And um, yeah, I can only recommend that to to anyone. It, it's it's a bit of a learning curve, but once you get a hang of it, it's really easy and really a joy to work with. And yeah, then that was it really. That was the start. And then I released um, then I released uh, epic characters on the DMs Guild, and and it's it's sold okay. Uh, but but yeah, it, it wasn't a great, it wasn't an instant success by any means. Uh, yeah, but but it sort of fueled my my fire enough to to 
to go deeper and 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 have a look at well what do i really think is interesting uh, apart from going to you know epic levels which which is of course uh, interesting in in and of itself but but is really building upon something that is already there um, and and that's where i got to um, the oriental adventures because i loved those back uh, in 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 3.5 uh, uh, back in those days and yeah so so that's that's how the next natural step became heroes of the orient yeah yeah and that's you know you're naturally leading into what epic characters was is initially just a mechanical update to you know levels and uh me- mechanics that the game doesn't have already whereas yeah. heroes of the orient is is that but then some because now you're adding in backstory and lore and things like that so What's the inspiration that made you wanted to do a, a Eastern Asian Orient uh, themed kind of supplement? Well, it, it's it's really I, I love the culture. Um, I I think it's well I love a lot of cultures, but but that one really stood out for me because I thought it um, it had a a history I really liked in D and D, and I very much enjoy the culture in real life as well. Um, uh, Tokyo is an amazing city. <laughs> Let me just add that in there. But but um, otherwise, uh, yeah, the the epic characters book was, as you put it, very mechanical uh, and not a lot of storytelling, not a lot of world building, and that is really a lot of what drives me. Um, is that part? I, I I like making mechanical things as well, but but it's really the other part that that is. Um, in, that's inspirational to me and yeah i i like the way they did it in past editions with dnd the oriental adventures uh, so what i did is i i looked back at both of those and i tried to take a little bit of both of those and will put my own spin of them uh, on them I, I i really like to um yeah, make something my own. I, I, I take some creative liberties with things, and, and if I think something is inspirational, I try to do something new with it, maybe. Maybe I just change it a little bit, but just, you know, I want to do more than just port something from one edition to another and just change the wording. Uh, I, I really want to want to add some depth to that. And at the same time, uh, since it was a one-man project, um, I wanted to leave enough space for other DMs to to make it their own. So what my actual goal was uh, was to to sort of make a framework that you could use to to make your own world in that setting, so to speak. And and of course, uh, it is my hope that the setting could can be put into pretty much any whatever other setting you might be playing in whether it's Forgotten Realms or some, something of your own creation. I know it's not entirely, it's not Canaan Forgotten Realms, but at your table, who said it, who says it can't be, you know? So that's sort of what I what I was aiming for. Um, why it had to be exactly um, Oriental Adventures and, and not something else? Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I'm not sure I can give an exact 100% answer to that. It was just how I felt at the time. Um, uh, and and I really like the the whole idea of you know honor and and feudal society and all of those things. Uh, I think there's a lot to a lot to build on there. There's a lot uh, a lot of adventures to be had that are very very different from from what we're used to um, in in many other games like uh, yeah or, or the Forgotten Realm setting for that matter. Um, honor isn't a as big a part there as it is in Oriental Adventures. So, yeah, yeah. So you actually hit on a lot of things I, I want to dive into, but one of the first ones I did wanted to touch is you mentioned your inspiration coming from obviously loving the Eastern culture, and you mentioned Tokyo being a beautiful city. And depending on whenever you're listening to this, uh, I will have gone to Japan for the first time. Yeah. Or I'm still waiting to go to Japan, so I'm super excited for that, having taken Japanese oh, wow. since middle school through high school, as well as obviously being a huge fan of things like that as well. So so it sounds like a lot of this has come from, uh, obviously, 
cultural uh, influences, but then your own personal experiences with that. One of the hard things for all DMs when we're trying to create content is the marriage of the idea and the mechanic. We all have this great idea or this great uh, thing, image, or uh, figure we're pulling from culture or our imaginations, but then turning it into a mechanic that's maybe not broken is the hard part. So I wanted to ask you, what what in this process uh, helped you with figuring out how to kind of reverse engineer, like, I know what I want to do, but how do I do it mechanically and how do I make it balanced? Well, well, the first part is um, I try to work in in like two phases, and the the first phase is just going absolutely nuts, you know, how to translate that from an idea to something that is written on a page, something mechanical. And at first, I don't bother myself with balance at all. Now, sometimes it's completely bonkers in one direction. Sometimes it, it's bonkers in the other direction. But but. Um, that's the first step for me always because I don't want to limit my my thought process in the beginning by it has to be balanced. First of all, it has to be creative, or at least that's what I aim for. Uh, after that, then I try to look at it. Well, how how does that uh, how does that play together with with other mechanical things? You know, try to figure out how balanced is this. Um, and and what I try to do there is look at existing things. Um, like for example, uh, there are the the despair rules, like the Shadowfell despair in the Dungeon Master's Guide. So I'll go and have a look at things like that and see. Well, despair in real life, what is that, and how did they translate that to something mechanical? Um, and and how does that work? How does that influence things? And uh, then I have a look at you know the the save DC and and of course what are the effects? Because if something I don't know, paralyzes you for one turn, but it has a safety C of 20. Um, that is maybe, well, pretty dangerous since it paralyzes you, but but how about something that it has a safety C of 12, but puts you to sleep for a minute? You know, uh, try to figure out all these things. There's, of course, also what type of save are we talking about? Um, and it's the same thing with with spells. I always try to look at, uh, um, you know, you. I, I often felt like I want to mix it up a little bit and use an intelligence save instead of a wisdom save. But I figured out you got to be really careful about that because a lot of monsters have okay wisdom, but a lot of monsters have really, really bad intelligence. So um, even, you know, a beast like a fly has an okay wisdom, but it has really bad intelligence. So so uh, spells can become really bonkers if you, if you don't grasp something like that. And as you sort of delve into it, and I've gotten tons of playtesting feedback from, from other people who've helped me out because it's, it's really massive for just a single person to... To, to try and get something to be right. Um, of course, when I did Heroes of the Orient in the beginning, I didn't have nearly as much outreach as I do now, perhaps. Um, and, and now I have an easier time finding playtesters as I did back then. But I've refined a lot over time. And, and one of my sort of uh, design philosophies is it's okay to get things wrong. Um, don't be afraid. Uh, that's something I would encourage everyone to do is is don't be afraid to get it wrong um if it is you can always fix it later um and you will get stuff wrong i mean there's always something you didn't anticipate or some mechanic you didn't figure into the, the whole thing and and yeah so so what i try to do on that part is also just uh, talk with the community, uh, take feedback. It's usually helpful, um, and and I really want to listen to what people say. First of all, because they spent their hard-earned cash on on s something I made, so I feel like that's the least thing I owe them. But also because I want to make it the best thing that it can be. I want it to work at the table. I I love the idea of helping other people create cool and fun adventures um that that brings me a lot of joy so so yeah that's that that's the final part of it really it's just gathering feedback from many many people and and the more people 
purchase something, the more feedback sort of comes in and the more I try to well, go back and change things. And um, well, well, Heroes of the Orient, in the beginning when I did that, it was a lot smaller than it is now. Um, I think it has gotten like somewhere between 20 and 35 that too much 20 or 30 pages something like that um in addition to what it had orig originally uh, I've, I've put a lot of extra stuff in there um just because i felt like uh, yeah the 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 reception has been so amazing i mean people have been so positive about it i i've gotten so much good feedback um so so it's really about you know making it a fluid thing uh, where it's as soon as it's written on the page, that doesn't mean it's the final version of that. We can always go back and change something for the better, hopefully. Yeah. And the reception to it has actually been really fantastic. Uh, kind of going back into the, the putting it all together, was this something that uh, you had the idea for and then obviously... You, you brought the materials from the previous editions or was this like still a part of your own homebrew thing? Because uh, like just looking at the depth of this content, for those of you who haven't seen it, it's the Heroes of the Oriente. You have the DM and uh, a player's companion, as well as you have the monsters, as well as you have, I think, an addendum for the Kensai. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So I think the that's three in total products, right? Yeah, yeah, it is. Uh, although the the last one uh, you mentioned there, that's a a a pay what you want title. It was really meant as as just sort of a thank you to the people that purchased Heroes of the Orient because I was completely blown away by by the reception that it got. Um, yeah. Um, so, so so yeah, tying back into what I, I was kind of trying to get to here, so. Is, is this a thing to where you had the anticipation that this was going to be obviously a bigger and continued series and you're going to do it? Uh, or was that a reaction to how well the uh, the community took Heroes of the Orient's first uh, product? Well, I, I didn't plan on it being a series. Well, I, I, had, I had hoped that it could be, but I never really planned for, yes, this is how we're going to do it. Um, and, and uh, well... I always wanted to make monsters for it, and originally I felt like, yeah, I'm gonna make Heroes of the Orient, and I just wanted it to be a few, um, well, a, a little bit of story and things like that. But then I really felt, you know, to sort of flesh it out, I had to add in some archetypes that fit there, and then I worked on that, and then I wanted to add some classes. And at one point, at one point, I actually had the um, a Wu Jen as a complete class, but that ended up getting scrapped and just became a wizard archetype. So, so uh, yeah, the, it just kept growing and growing. And then I actually wanted monsters in there as well. But but I sort of figured out that wow, I've just spent like six months working on this product, and and it's gonna take forever if I want to put monsters in here as well. You you know, at least if it's gonna be more than like let's say ten or twenty monsters. But I wanted to really flesh it out, so it it had to be more. So so then I released uh, Heroes of the Orient, and and the reception was amazing. So then I went and and did a few uh, extra archetypes for the Kensei. Um, and, and release that, and that is done quite okay. Uh, it, it's a pay-what-you-want title, so it's not something that I, you know, it's, it's not a big title. It's, it's just meant as a, a little thank you. Um, but but then I really wanted to, like, seeing how, how well-received it was, I really felt like, well, this is only half the world, because if, if you can't populate a world with monsters in a D&D game, you know, not just monsters, but also NPCs and things like that. Then, then, then it's yeah, it's not really a complete world yet. So I knew I had to. I absolutely had to create monsters for it. And um, yeah, so so I started working on that. And oh boy, um, that 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 was quite uh, that was quite a journey. Um, I'll have to say, uh, creating monsters is from a sheer time investment standpoint a massive undertaking um that that title took me nine months to make a, a little over nine months um including play testing and 
art acquisitions and yeah of course several thousand dollars in art commissions uh, just because yeah I, I felt like it had to be it had to had to be good enough you know it, it, a monster manual that that just has text uh, or and just a stat block is not really inspirational I, and i always try to create something that i myself would find cool you know something where i feel that i would go wow this inspires me this is something i can use and i hope it does that for people um that's what i aim for at least um but but yeah so so i had thought maybe a few months uh would be yeah i'd have to put in a few months to to get that all done but yeah you live and you learn and art takes a long time to make and even if you think something is balanced it isn't necessarily and yeah it's a massive process um the next thing is something like uh, print on demand which i'm still working on getting getting into uh, Monsters of the Orient. Um, and and yeah, that, that is really the first title that I want to do that for. And that is really because when I started working on it, I was aware that there was the concept of, of print, print on demand. Um, so, so I started already there, you know, like the format and the size and all of those things uh, working towards, yeah, making the whole printing process work. The other Previous books I've done, they don't follow that format at all. But I do plan to go go back and revisit them with a um, yeah a, a few new updates. Uh, like there's not gonna be a a bunch new archetypes for for Heroes of the Orient simply because I think there's enough now. But uh, I want to make that print on demand as well, and I want to revisit some things. You know, like. Um, I want to delve more into like uh, local customs that they sort of have in the different clans, like how they differ from each other in everyday life. Delve a little deeper into the whole, you know, social etiquette. Um, maybe there's like uh, there's some words they use that nobody else uses, or you know, whatever differences there may be, um, things like that. And I want to expand on on the honors system as well. Uh, because what I've done here so far is really just using what is in the Dungeon Master's Guide uh, in, in, in Heroes of the Orient. Um, because they describe some some honor mechanics there. But but I feel like I haven't... I've toyed around with this a little bit and I haven't quite nailed it yet. But But I feel like... I want to expand on that because honor is such a big thing um, in in this world. Um, and and one thing I really like, for example, where that really shows is I have a little a little chapter about rewarding characters in the book, um, and it's it's one of my favorite things actually uh, because it's it's just a, a few paragraphs that delves into like a very very important distinction between this world and other worlds. Uh, where where it's not okay to just you know uh, kill some monsters and take everything they own uh, because that's not honorable you don't just take things on from other people so i try to like give some options for like having a lord grant some rewards and and you know things like that so yeah i want to delve more into into the whole Whole cultural thing because that's re- really the the meat of of the whole product uh, I think uh, of, of the whole universe there. Yeah, and I really want to get into uh, when you were mentioning a little bit earlier about all the kind of logistics that come into making this product. You mentioned learning in, the, in design as well as art commissions and things like that. Could you just touch on just the logistic sides of like figuring out how it's going to look? Obviously, you you and for every anyone who wants to see his content, you're going to see that it's got another level, a higher level, I think, of uh, presentation and uh, professionalism than a lot of the content you see on those guilds. Not disparaging any of the other ones on the DMs guild or anything like that, but like very, very deservedly so. The price you pay is worthy of the content you get, and I just wanted you to kind of 
talk a little bit more about that because you just mentioned there are thousands of dollars worth of art commissions. Like the word, you know, where does all that the logistics come into this? Also, you're taking from the names. Obviously, there's a lot of Eastern references from Chinese and Japanese as well as other Eastern Asian cultures. So, like, what's the research? And just get, uh, give me some more of that if you don't mind. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, well, well, Monsters of the Orient it 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 grew sort of exponentially, um, and uh, if I'll delve into first the whole the whole art acquisition thing um what i usually do is is i have a look at if if it is a monster that has existed before um then then what i'll do is uh, i'll look at that art uh, but i might change a few things and and i'll just sort of describe it and you know different art, artists have different processes how they do things and and uh, i try to leave some room for interpretation interpretation um and and yeah what what we do then is you know sometimes a a monster has to go through a few iterations before i think it's 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 really there and sometimes it's just spot on the the first time um there are a few illustrations that i actually didn't commission which i just purchased the rights to use um and and although most of them are commissions that that i that i made myself um but but yeah a few of them you know it's just looking through the internet and sometimes you just find something that absolutely nails what it is you want to want to convey and and then i feel like it's a bit of a waste to to go out and and get someone to do it from scratch um if if i can just you know acquire the rights to to that particular image so so that's what i'll do but sometimes there isn't something or sometimes they say no or sometimes it costs too much uh, i've been through all of those experiences um i i uh, the good thing is people are always very very nice um and i also feel like uh, I've had some artists say to me like something something like uh, well I, I they have to be mentioned in 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 the book you know they have to be credited and things like that and I'm an avid believer that of course they do it, it's their work so so of course they're they're gonna be credited um as a well I have I have a big credit section in in the front of the book there are a lot of names in there um but uh, yeah, that that's sort of the process, and you know, some illustrations they they take a week to 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 be completed, and some take like three or four weeks, um, some a little bit longer. The, it's very different um, be, between artists. You know, some sometimes things come up, and sometimes things just have to be changed a few times again be, before it works. And yeah, there are also there are a few monsters that don't have illustrations uh, absolutely most of them do but there are some of them that that don't like um for example a were crocodile which is in the book uh, that one doesn't have an illustration but i really try to uh, and and that's really just a matter of of i can't afford it <laughs> i can't afford art for every single piece but but um I try to sort of go like, uh, you know, a wear crocodile. I think most people can probably imagine what that looks like. So I felt like if we're going to skip something, skip things like that. Um, that is to say, that's in a section with quite a few wear creatures. And of course, there's art for some of those creatures, but not all of them. So I, I try to have at least one piece of art on, you know, every spread. Um, yeah, just to just to break it up. Of course, sometimes there are three monsters on a page, and you know things like that. So so it differs a lot. Um, yeah, and some some of them have full page art. Some of them just have a little bit of art. And uh, recently, uh, in in my next project, we can touch on that a little, little later if you want. But but uh, I'm moving more towards not going full page, but going more towards. Um, you know, just just the creature if it's a monster without a background and things like that, um, and and it's really a matter of there's a little bit of context being lost maybe for the monster. Like if it's a swamp monster and you don't see the swamp, sure, but but it 
it allows me to have more art in there. So instead of, you know, only four out of, or only three out of four monsters having art, maybe all of them have art um, because I, I can save a little bit of money on, on that and, and art is really expensive. So um, to give you a better number um, for Monsters of the Orient, uh, that cost me upwards of $5,000 uh, worth of art um, to have that done. And yeah, of course, nine months of, of work so as i said that that one was a massive project uh, but yeah now i'm really proud of it and i really just want to get it ready for for print on demand uh, i, I want to hold it in in my own hands you know um, yeah that's like the the final step so now that process. you've had so now in our kind of uh, timeline here you've had the art commissioned everything's been created it's been put up there let's talk about the reaction you're getting obviously you didn't anticipate such a positive reaction to the uh first heroes of the orient uh, product and then that enabled you to now obviously put in so much work into monsters of the orient but what are some of the responses you're getting back about your um, content good bad people using in their games people giving their thoughts things like that yeah um well well it's mostly been good um i have people writing me an email as well and um there's a lot of comments on the on the products themselves uh, on the dms guild and i try to respond to everyone uh, in a timely manner and i really try to take the feedback to heart because sometimes um Sometimes people find something that isn't quite right, something that that's not quite, you know, a monster that hits too hard or something. Uh, that one hasn't actually been a comment, but but um, you know, there there are little things, and 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 I try to yeah take that feedback and of course go back and change it. Um, I, I want it to be balanced. Uh, there is also feedback sometimes where people say like uh, they experienced this um, but i i've had a few play groups that experienced something completely different so you know you you sort of have to um take into account that that some groups are just different you know some people are power gamers some people are absolutely not power gamers and there's no right or wrong way to play it uh, i mean it depends completely on what table you're sitting at um but but yeah sure there there has been there's been there's not really been negative in in terms of this is just bad um there has been very much in the beginning when i put out uh, heroes of the orient uh, there were were a few comments with uh, that pointed out the editing um i've made that I've made very big improvements to that since then, but but that was uh, absolutely valid criticism that that it wasn't edited properly, um, because it wasn't. Um, since then, I've tried to, well, get get a few extra eyes on my my titles and just check for grammar and you know punctuation things like that um, before actually putting things out there. Sometimes things still fall through the cracks because you know when you have a product that is you know 170 pages and every page has a lot of text on it sometimes there's gonna be missing a comma or something it happens but but i try to take that seriously and 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 yeah remove all the mistakes because i know from my own reading experience having read a lot of books uh, not just D, D, that when things don't work for grammatically it, it it really it can take you out of the the whole experience so to say and and it's really interrupt interrupting um and i don't want people to have that experience i want people to have a good experience uh, luckily most of the feedback has been very very positive um which is yeah what i was hoping for but but i really enjoy the the other parts as well because it it, it allows me to make it even better and and that's always good uh, and it can always be better you know there's it, it never stops where where it can't be improved i mean there there may be a point where where i have to say well i'm gonna stop making improvements but that doesn't mean there isn't room for improvement let's say if um if nobody bought heroes of the orient anymore like at all and and of course i wouldn't spend the next three months making corrections to it um that would be a little silly um but but what I do want to do is expand on 
what is already there and, and take a, a lot of feedback from, from what people have said. And one of the things I really enjoy about some of the feedback I've gotten for um, Monsters of the Orient is the the diversity of, of creatures that, that are in there. And and I've really tried to to do exactly that. Um, because it's it's very easy to just go, well, we're gonna have ghosts and we're gonna have Oni and we're gonna have some I don't know, some trolls or a few weird creatures. There are some creatures that are really weird, but super, super interesting. Um and and yeah, I, I really wanted to be um, very diverse in terms of their not also in terms of challenge rating, but not just in terms of challenge rating. Also in terms of how they exist in the world. You know, what is the lore of them? Um, I made the uh, I made a few. Uh, I tried to incorporate blood magic, uh, which is called maho. Um, and and there are some some blood oozes that can be used by these uh, mahotsukai, which are are the ones that the the, the blood mages, and um, yeah, try to flesh out a a system for that. And that is a very unique way of casting spells compared to how other monsters do it. Um, I also try to get in a lot of uh, fiendish creatures from like the, the Shadowlands and, and Jigoku. And, um, but I also tried, um, it, when you look at the lore, like Asian lore, the, a lot of monsters are shape changers. Um, not all of them, obviously, but there are a lot of shape changers there. So, so, so I try to, I try to get them in there as well. There's like, um, uh, the Tengu, uh, like cousins of the Kenku in 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 D and D, but the Tengu actually uh, they they uh, they do exist, or not really, but they are in the lore over there. And most of the creatures that are in here are actually in from some sort of Asian myth, um, or if they aren't, then they are in previous editions of D&D and might have been created for that particular purpose. There are a few creatures that are completely my own creation, which is just something I thought, well, let's do this because it's a cool concept. Um, and an example of that could be like the, the Zayaku, which is like a, a, a large fiend that has four arms and a big horn instead of a head, uh, things like that. And it can turn into gas. And yeah, it's, it's a very weird thing, but, but that one is completely out of my own creation. Um, I also want to do, sometime in the future, I want to do something like uh, an, an epic expansion to two monsters of the orient that has some some epic monsters because there are a few hints to some monsters that you know I tried to leave some room so I could go beyond challenging 30 in the future sometime like when you read this section about the only lords it refers to Saisho um which, which is like the the ultimate only lord it's like the the the, the the lord of all of Jikuku is the strongest of them all and the oldest and like the, the absolute, the ultimate evil, so to speak. Um, and, and he's not, he, he doesn't have a stat block. Uh, he's just mentioned. Um, and this, the same thing with the uh, Xiangxi, which are like uh, four different types of very alien creatures. It's sort of a Far Realm-esque um, vibe they have. And and there are some some references there to like all of these four types of Xiangxi. They they each have a lord that exists in within the far realm somewhere. And I really want to step them out at, at some point as well. But we're definitely gonna have to go beyond challenging thirty for that. So I, I want to delve in and and mix the the, the two uh, epic uh, and and orient at some point. Mark, there's also one thing I kind of wanted to bring up, and um, this is, I don't know if this is going to be too either Western-centric or too American-centric, but the term, you know, Heroes of the Orient. Orient is a term that has a little bit of a, a negative connotation in American history with the way we kind of treated Japanese-Americans and our Chinese-Americans who, who came over and helped to build our railroads as well as World War II. Was there any sort of like backlash or any negative feedback you received due to that term as part of your products? 
Well, um, yes, I have gotten a few comments on that from time to time. It, it hasn't been a lot, but a few people have mentioned that. Um, this is something I learned after having put out the uh, Heroes of the Orient title. But um, yeah, and something I absolutely was not aware of uh, beforehand, because I'm European myself. And uh, in, in, in this part of the world, we, we sort of have a different view on it. Um, really, to me, it's just like referencing the Nordic countries or Slavic countries or the Orient. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's not a bad term here. So I really think it's a, it's a cultural thing. And, and yes, there have been a few people that are, that are like, wow, that is super disrespectful to, to Asians. And, and that was not my intention at all. And, and nor is it something that I perceive as disrespectful or any of my, um, fellow Europeans with Asian backgrounds feel that is in any way um, derogatory. That That is just a, a term like so much else. It, it means nothing. Um, but but yes, I have gotten the, the, the impression now that it's a bit different for, for Americans. And, you know, of course, that is fine. Um, if I could go back and change it now, or if if I could do it all over again, I probably would. Um, but it's it's yeah, it's not it's not something I'm gonna change now because it's it's sort of it has its own identity now. And and but yeah, uh, that's sort of my view on it. Obviously, I didn't wanna I didn't wanna yeah trade neg negatively in any way uh, because the whole reason I, I did the books was because I love the culture uh, not because I have anything against it or its people that would be weird why would I spend well, well over a year developing titles for that if I don't like it yeah so, absolutely yeah. and that's a thing of perspective I mean I, I there was never a, in any of the stuff in the content you see that comes off as making fun of or being disrespectful to. It comes from what I have also myself is just a fondness for that culture, a fondness for the media and the lore and mythology and things that comes from there. But it's something that I thought needed to be brought up. And yeah, I totally understand with a different worldly perspective, maybe that term doesn't mean as much uh, or mean the same thing, sorry, as it would here in America. And uh, obviously this is uh, something that's we can all learn from a matter of perspective. Now, you mentioned a little bit earlier, obviously, you're doing revisions and coming back and editing, adding more to what's already been published. But what's on the horizon? What's the next big thing? Well, uh, the next big thing, um, after the first title I made was Epic Characters, and I've revised that a few times, and then I did Heroes of Orient. I've revised that a few times, and uh, then I made Epic Monsters. I've revised that a little Um there's not been a lot to revise. Uh, hopefully, I imagine, because I have perhaps hopefully become a little bit better at getting it right the first time. Um, but uh, the, the next part, because I've done two Orient titles in a row now, I want to move back to Epic. And um, what I am doing there is I've actually partnered up with another content creator on that. Um, uh, his name is David Moore, and he is uh, doing the writing. So um, it is going to be a series of, of books called Ulround's Guide to the Plains. And um, yeah, uh, if you don't know who Ulround who is, he is sort of the... Um, the, the Lord of Candlekeep, or not the Lord, he is the Keeper of Tomes. Um, yeah, and uh, obviously Candlekeep is a place where there's a lot of lore, and it, it's a massive library, and um, it's in the Forgotten Realms, and, you know, with the, uh, uh, in, in the, on the DMs Guild, we're only allowed to publish things that are in either um, uh, non-setting specific, or things that are the Forgotten Realms or Ravenloft. So this one is uh, a little bit of both the Forgotten Realms and Ravenloft. And uh, the first one, or what we're going to do really, is with each Ulrone's Guide to the Plains, we're going to delve into a particular plane. And the first plane we're going to delve into will be the Shadowfell. 
Um, and there we'll have a look at some of the domains of dread. We'll uh, have a ton of monsters. Um, looking at it now, uh, it'll be well well over 160 pages. Uh, the first one here, and uh, we'll have a few locations for the Shadowfell. Um, we will have statted out a few gods in there, so there will absolutely be monsters that are epic. Now, it's not just epic monsters. There is lore, and there is, you know, for the Shadowfell, uh, in, in this book at least, um, and, and uh, there are also monsters that are below challenge rating 30. It's not exclusively CR 30, um, but there are a few in there that are higher than that. And uh, there are also all the way down to like CR, yeah, two or three, things like that. Um, but uh, it's really about, um, you know, sometimes you need to swarm players and it's also about you you know if you want to go to the shadowfell you really want to have it be all the creatures that are logically there they should be able to be there so we want to provide all of that um but there are a lot of creatures uh, there are um all the different gods that we'll have there um one of them will be shar uh, the raven queen won't be there because she is not a part of the Forgotten Realms, although I really like her um, in the lore, um, and a lot of other people do too, but we cannot include her, sadly. Are you so, sure? Because uh, I just saw some recent Unearthed Arcana and mentioning uh, yeah, content yeah. about the Raven Queen. Yeah, they, they've done her a bit in, in Unearthed Arcana, um, but but it's not a part of the DM's guild license. So if, if, you, if you have a look at what is allowed in the DM's guild, because that is separate from what they do in their own <laughs> Unearthed Arcana series. Uh, but but yeah, um, we can only include Forgotten Realms and, and Ravenloft. Now, I'm trying to go through a little bit of a loophole there, because things like, you know, a, a fan favorite um, is Vecna. And Vecna is actually not part of the Forgotten Realms, but he is part of Ravenloft. So that one is actually fair game. And he'll be in the book as well. And he'll be there as a challenge rating 38 creature. Um, yeah. So, for example, there will also be, uh, for all of the different gods, there'll be a few creatures that are devoted to them. Like um, Kalimvor is going to be there. And uh, that's because we include a little bit of the Fugue plane. But only because the Fugue plane is not big enough to warrant a book of its own. I'm going to include that part here as well. And that has to do with the whole, you know, petitioners when people or creatures die and then they go you know, to the few plane to be judged and all that, they move through the Shadowfell. So it sort of made sense to put that in here. Um, but along with Kalimor, we also have um, Doom Guides, which are sort of the uh, his, his clergy, um, the, the holy warriors that are devoted to him. Um, and we have that for for all of the gods that that we have in here. Well, all of them. There'll, there'll be there'll be five in total. So it's not like it's not like there are twenty gods connected to to the Shadowfell and the few playing. But um, yeah, there'll also be Cass, uh, the Betrayer. Um, he sort of goes hand in hand with Vecner, and he's actually connected to uh, Ravenloft as well. So uh, lucky me, the, they included both Vecna and Cass in Ravenloft because that sort of allows me to include them here. Yeah, yeah it seems like there's a lot kind of for the future there, and I cannot wait to see what comes from that. I would ask, though, just generally, if anybody's trying to now get into either posting on the DMs Guild or any sort of online uh, supplemental content, what sort of tips or tricks do you have for them? Well, I would say um, I've, I've followed a lot of discussions online um, and, and how people do it. There are there are a few groups on you know communities where people talk about it. There are Facebook groups and you people talk about it on on the D and D Beyond forums and on on Reddit and, and places like that. Um, and and a lot of things that often come up is like um, uh, 
what sort of software do you use and and for that i would i would absolutely suggest uh, adobe uh, i use photoshop and indesign myself the learning curve is a little high so if you're not into that there are some there are some okay uh, options available like there's the home brewery where you can actually make decent looking things um so so for absolutely new people i would recommend that at least if you want to have it look um, like like in the 5e way uh, then then that is definitely uh, an easy way to get into it and um otherwise uh, yeah what other tips do i have i i would say in regards to how to create things don't be afraid to share and and don't be don't be afraid to listen to to feedback um always see the positive uh, in in what people say now sometimes people might come off a little harsh and and sometimes you have to defend something you've done and say well it is this way because yeah whatever reason there might be but but always try to to remain positive and and yeah, take it to heart. Even if you don't disagree with something, you can still disagree and take it to heart. So, um, yeah, in, in regards to pricing, um, I would say uh, it, it's really funny because back in the day when I put up epic characters, I put it up for 10 bucks. And uh, the only reason I did that was like, because that's what I felt I would pay for it. Um, I would happily pay 10 bucks to get that. That's how I felt. Um, so I just put it up for 10 bucks and, and I thought that was fair. Now I did the same thing with Heroes of the Orient. Uh, Heroes of the Orient has grown a lot since then. Um, as I said, I've revised and added a lot of new things. If I were to price it today, I would probably price it a little higher, but I don't feel like going back and changing something that has, you know, yeah, that, that just felt off. If, if I had done it in this complete form that it has now, since it's grown so much in size, I would probably have priced it at 15, or at least that's how I feel I would be comfortable paying for, for what I would get for it. Um, so yeah, I would encourage people to just price things what they feel they are worth. And um, yeah, I also, I've read a few comments like, what day of the week is the best to publish? And I have no idea. <laughs> I have never thought about that. I just published things and I hoped that if it was good enough, people would buy it. And if not, well, then I've always, I've, then I've just created for myself, which is fine too. Uh, the only title where I really hoped I would sell uh, was Monsters of the Orient. But that's just because I had such a huge monetary investment in that, that I sort of felt like, um, I, I really hope this sells. <laughs> but uh, yeah, luckily it did. So I'm quite happy with that. Um, and actually, this is a good time to get into creating things for the DMs Guild. Um, because just recently, I saw a statistic where the um, where it looks like uh, the DMs Guild now has more traffic than um, uh, RPG now. Um, some of the other... Um, sites where they sell uh, RPG titles. Um, so so it has grown a lot. And yeah, it's it's a great time to get into it. I, and, and I would also encourage people to not be um, scared, uh, if, if that's not the correct word to use. But for lack of a better term, don't hold back because you're afraid you, people aren't going to like what you do. Worst case scenario, you'll just learn something. And if even one person enjoys what you did then it's a win so yeah uh absolutely i can only encourage people more create stuff uh, personally i've purchased a ton of titles on, uh, on on the dm's guild and and i enjoy absolutely most of them i i am i'm very happy when when i get uh, when i get feedback from people saying they really enjoy my titles because considering the company that i'm in or the the other content creators it's that's wow there there are some really really skilled people on there and there are some people who are new at things and that have a lot of um yeah potential is the wrong word but 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 you know what i mean there there's there, there'll definitely come great things from from some of those people uh yeah so so 
in short, cr just create, create, let people give you feedback and and see what comes out on the other side. Yeah. Yeah, that's absolutely fantastic. Create. Um, obviously, read those small prints. I would also say, just because having worked in business, small prints is very important. But uh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, but but definitely create. Uh, we ultimately do this for love, uh, unless uh, I don't know. Actually, I shouldn't make this statement. Unless you are now quitting your job and living off of your DMs Guild um, money, uh, I, I could be wrong. But I think we ultimately started doing this for love and not to try to get stupid rich or successful. Uh, absolutely. I am by no means rich and it doesn't look like I'll be that anytime soon. But 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 it, it allows me to to keep creating things and in it's enough money to, to to purchase more artwork and continue creating things. So for that thing alone it's absolutely worth it, I think. Yeah. So with that in mind, we could probably keep talking for hours upon hours. But if anybody wants to reach out and contact you, either purchase your work or just have any questions or concerns or just wants to get to know you, Mark, what's the best means to do that? Well, um, there's my email address, um, uh, end5eoss at gmail.com. I am also on Twitter um, at dnd. 5e oss and um yeah that that's pretty much it uh, really otherwise you can put a comment in on some of my titles on the dms guild and i'll try to reply as soon as i see it and if you want to contact me my twitter is at classy underscore don that's d-o-n the email is my rpg podcast at gmail.com Podbean is myrpgpodcast.podbean.com. We are working on iTunes. I'm on that. Hopefully, some of you in the future, when you listen to this, you can already get it on iTunes by looking for my RPG podcast as well. Otherwise, thank you for listening, and I will see you at the table.